Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Our theme of the day is about fitness, fitness in the Lord's Church. This morning we dealt with the concept of cross-pollination and how valuable it is to the plant life of our world and we talked about spiritual cross-pollination where all of us as Christians together in the church give to each other those things that make us better, that improve us, that help us to grow higher and dig deeper and spread wider. That's what cross-pollination is intended to do. And spiritually, it is not only a valuable thing, but a necessary thing for the Lord's church. Tonight I want to think for a minute about those people that we might overlook or that overlook themselves. Because when you think about cross-pollination, you might think about those who have so much to offer and so many talents and so many abilities and so much depth. And we think about how valuable that is to the church. But what about the one-talent man? It's easy to talk about the five-talent man and the two talent man. But what about the one talent man? Open your Bibles to Matthew 25 and we're going to consider this story that you know quite well, a story that Jesus told. And in considering it, we're going to put heavy emphasis on, of course, the one talent man. Now, by way of intro, I want you to go to verse number 14 as the story begins as Jesus is telling it. And let's address an issue right at the beginning. If you back up to verse 1, the kingdom of heaven shall be like, Jesus said. And he talked about the five wise and the five foolish virgins at the wedding uh, feast. But then he comes down to verse 14 and I'm reading from the New King James, and I hope that your version does what this did so that it helps us a little bit. Mine says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. But the phrase kingdom of heaven is italicized. There's a difference, it seems to me, between what he said at the beginning of the chapter about the five wise and the five foolish, and he compares it to the kingdom of heaven. But when we start in verse 24, the assumption is always that he is comparing what he's going to say to the kingdom of heaven again. Well, there are principles here that we're going to notice I want you to be aware that it is not specifically stated that this is something he is talking about and saying this is like the church because here is a problem. And the problem comes with this master. Now, 
Michael and, and Robert McGaffey are here, and we came across this discussion earlier this week. This master here, we noticed that the master identifies the fact that he apparently not a really good master, not a good guy. And for me to be able to say that this parable then is talking about the master Jesus over his kingdom and the servants doesn't seem to make any sense. But if we look at it simply as a statement of fact, looking at every master who ever lives and every servant who is ever under them, and then make some applications as they come up, we get to a good understanding of this text. You know the story. The man was going on a journey. He called his servants in, and he gave one of them five and one two and one the one-talent man. And they were supposed to go and do something with them, and he would return and find an accounting. The five-talent man doubled his. The two-talent man doubled his. The one-talent man did nothing with his. Let's begin highlighting and thinking about this one-talent man. Let's ask, who is he first? Who is the one-talent man? I want you to back up in considering the one-talent man. Verse 14, the one-talent man in the eye of his master at the beginning of the story. Number one, he is a valuable servant. He's valuable because the master had something for him to do. And he said, I'm going to choose you to be involved in it. I'm going to let you do what needs to be done. Therefore, he is a valuable servant. And when we look at what's going on in the text, there is value here to that one. Number two, he is a trusted servant. Based on the past of this servant working for his master, the master had every reason to believe if I bring him in and I give this to him, he is going to do his job. Because in verse 14, he delivered everything to them and then he left. The master left and he went on a journey leaving with his servants, including the one talent man, all of his possessions to do with them as they would, based on their value as a trusted servant. Now we see who the master thought he was. Now think with me about who the one talent man tells us that he was. When the master returned from his journey and he found that the five-talent and the two-talent men had doubled theirs and he complimented them, he turned to the one-talent man to make an accounting of what he had left with him. Go over to verse 24 in the text that was read. Who was this one talent man in his own mind. In his own mind, who did he say? Number one, I think he's an out of focus man. He said, I know that you are who you are. In other words, 
He is looking at the situation and he's looking, looking at the man, the master, without considering what his own obligations are. And he said, I know what kind of guy you are. You are a hard man. He was out of focus. He didn't need to be thinking about that master, he needed to be thinking about what he could do. Here is why. How long had he been a servant of this master? I don't know. Had he ever acted this way before? Well, I would suggest to you that he probably had not. Because if he had acted that way before, the master would never at this time have entrusted him with some of his money. So before all of this, he knew he was a hard man. He knew he was a difficult master, but he did his job. But now it's out of focus. Now he's focusing not on doing his job, but on the master and how he thinks he's not as good a man as he should be and may not have been. Number two, he was a fearful man. And I was afraid. Because of this fellow and because of the way that he did things, he saw to himself, I think that, you know, I'm just not going to do anything. He's so rough and so tough, I'm afraid of him. Well, let me ask you, was he afraid of him before? Did his fear of his master keep him from doing his service before? Apparently not, because once again, he had been valuable and trusted, which is why the master said, here, let me give you something else to do. Let me give you a job. And if he had done that, he would have been able to be the kind of servant that he wanted him to have, or they wanted him to be. But he was afraid. Then again, notice at the end of verse number 25, he said, look, I took what I had and I buried it and I'm giving it back to you. He was a man who thought that he could do nothing and be okay. This one talent man thought, well, I, I, I don't think this is that big a deal? It's only one talent. So what if I go and bear it and give it back to him? At least he'll get back what I gave or he gave to me. And therefore the one talent man thought of himself as a person possessing something that probably was not of great value, not of great worth. He didn't consider himself to have much importance in this whole scheme and therefore he could just bury it in the ground, and give it back to him just like it was given to him. Why would he think that? You think he thought of that before? Would this master have awarded him this opportunity if that's the way he had been conducting his business before? I think not. But here might be a difference. One of the differences might be, previous to this, the master was always there directing and doing. 
But now the master's gone, and he's on his own. And now he has to figure out on his own what he's going to do. And he doesn't have the master standing over him and telling him what to do. And that level of responsibility, while he needed to have it, he didn't have it. The one talent man, that's what he thought of himself. So what did the master think of him at the end? Well, you know. One, you are wicked. Wicked means you did something wrong. You did something that was not proper. I gave you a job. You didn't do your job. That is wicked. That's not what he used to think of him, but it is now. You are lazy. It would have been too tough for you, I guess, to go out and do something with that talent. So instead, you just are lazy and you sit back and do nothing. You are a lazy person. You are a man of no motivation, none whatsoever. Listen. All you had to do, I can just see him. All you had to do. I may have told this story before, but it's one of those emblazoned stories in my mind as a child that I can still see my dad saying this. My dad went away, left me with a job, and we had a cage full of pigeons in the back. And he said, son, I want you to water the pigeons while I'm gone the next day or two. Well, I didn't do it. And when he came home, I didn't even think about the pigeons. Didn't care about the pigeons. And when he came home, all the pigeons had died. He could say, son, that was wicked. And it was. He could say, son, that's lazy. And it was. And he could say, son, why didn't you have motivation? It's such a little thing. In fact, he said all you had to do was at least take a cap and put water in it and keep them alive till I get home. That's what this master is saying to his servant. All you had to do. Just put it with the bankers and let them do something with it. Deposit it over there. Let them do the work and you'll get interest back for me. But you did absolutely nothing. And therefore the master said, throw him out. Do you think he continued to be a servant from this day? Nope. Throw him out. Send him off. And as the text calls it, send him out to the place of fire. Let him have it. It's over. You failed your mission. And therefore, you have not done well. One more thing about this point with the master. The master knew he was a one-talent man. 
But I think he also knew he had ability to do more. That's why he was upset with him. He was upset because he didn't just give the one talent back. That seems like would have been okay, but it wasn't. Because the master looked at him and said, yeah, I know you're a one talent man. I understand that. He gave out the talents based on their abilities. I understand you're a one talent man. But here's what I also understand. You have the ability to be more. You have the ability to do more. I am convinced that you can do more with what you have if I give you the opportunity. Did the one talent man not have the ability that the master saw? No, I think he did. But I think he failed. So now we know who the one talent man is. Now I want to ask you this. Who is the one talent man today? When you think about in the church, who is the one talent man? I don't want you to put a name on it, although you could. Because when we think about one talent people, we, we think about this person, we think of this one thing that they do. Well, let's think about it for a minute. Sometimes it seems to me that we think about a one-talent man, we think about the person who really can be overlooked. It's not that important what they do anyway, and we can just overlook them. And sometimes in churches, people simply overlook the one talent man. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, starting in verse number 15, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And he goes on to say, Every single person is important. But then he goes down and he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Much rather the members of the body which seem to be weaker. To these we give the greater importance. One talent man, as far as the church is concerned, often is the one who has just seemed to be, you know, if we lose them, if they go, not going to hurt us. They don't offer much anyway. Number two, the one talent man is the one that we sort of think of as in the background, behind the scenes, unseen. When I think about those kinds of people, I can't help but think about all of the people listed in Romans 16. There are so many people listed in Romans 16 that we never hear about anywhere else in Scripture. All we know about them, and I'm wondering if we ever hear about them in history. This is it right here. There's Eponidas. 
There is Andronicus, Amplius, Urbanus, Stachys, Apelles, Aristobulus, Herodian, Narcissus, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. Now, we've heard of Rufus, or I have. That was my grandpa's name, so I know Rufus. But think about it for just a minute. One-talent people sometimes are the ones who are in the background doing work that nobody sees. And yet, these one-talent maybe people are enshrined in Scripture. We never hear their names anywhere else. But right here, they are in Scripture. It's not by chance. I think Paul was making a point. And his point was, even people you don't see much or know much, the ones who are in the background, they are valuable people and therefore, like the master knew of that servant. Today, I think that the one-talent people have an opportunity and an ability to do more if they are given the chance. And when you think about that, I'm thinking about, I can't help but think about Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, now, granted, we would look at Paul, the man who became the Apostle Paul, and we would think, oh, now that's a 20-talent guy. But it doesn't matter if he's 20-talent or 1-talent if nobody gives him a chance. And the early church was too afraid of him. They couldn't give him a chance, wouldn't give him a chance. And Barnabas stood up for him and said, wait a minute. This man deserves a chance. So while we might have the one-talent man in the back of our minds over there, overlooked, unappreciated, unneeded, we think, we should also understand that a one-talent person doesn't have to stay a one-talent person when given an opportunity to stretch themselves. They can and likely will do that. The one talent man. I want you to think with me now and ask the question, what does a one talent man have to offer this church? What was it that this master expected that he could offer to this church? Well, I think a one-talent man can offer the fact that he says, I have a talent and I'm going to use it for the Lord. And we can appreciate the fact that this one-talent person says, this came from God and I'm going to use it. And when you watch someone who you might consider to be a one-talent person who does their best with what they have, don't you appreciate it? 
They do their best where they are. It's because they understand they have something from God that they can use. And that one talent, when we see it in action, it makes us appreciate it. Because they do it. We can learn from a one-talent person who is faithful and doing the job that God sent them to do or that gave them to do. There is value in every single thing that is done. I don't care on the scale of how people judge things, greater or lesser. I don't care what job it is. It's valuable. Have you ever, let me ask, have you ever, think for just a minute, received a nice card or a text from somebody during this COVID time, for instance, who has been stuck at home, not able to get out, because of their age and health, they have no connections outside of their house. But they take the time to send a text to encourage you in your work. That's happened to me many times this past year. I'm not saying those people are, only, are one talent people, quote. What I am saying is, at that moment, that one talent, was extremely valuable and extremely helpful and said a whole lot about who those people are. Finally, third, I think from one talent people we come to appreciate the Lord more because God accepts everybody. Five talent, one talent. God accepts them, expects from them the exact same thing. And that's the lesson that we need to hear tonight. If you think you are a one talent person, that's fine. But don't you think that you can just sit down and do nothing? Because the Lord expects you, expects from you exactly what He expects from a five talent person. And that is to take what you've been given and do something with it. You can't just turn around and hand it back to the Lord and expect that He will be appreciative. Even if you think you are a one-talent person, put that talent to work. Do that one thing. And it's amazing what happens. Just as the five-talent guy gained five more, and the two-talent guy gained two more, I expect that the one-talent guy will gain one more too by doing with what you have what you can do. So what makes the difference? Your attitude. We're talking about cross-pollination today, fitness, I want you to understand, I'm talking to those who think that they are, quote, one talent people. I want to talk to you and help you understand something. Please hear this. The attitude that you have makes the difference. 
It doesn't make a difference if you are five talent or two talent or one talent. It makes a difference the attitude you have with the talents that you have. You are valuable. You offer something to this church. And I promise you, even if it's unnoticed and unseen by a whole bunch of people, the Lord is watching. He sees it. And He appreciates it. And in the use of that talent, you will become a two-talent person. I want to leave you with this idea. When the five-talent guy gained five more, he's a ten-talent guy. I think he was required to do ten-talent work to gain even more. He said, make him master over ten cities. Interesting. Now he has even greater responsibility because he's proven himself and he's put his talents to work. The same with the two. And I would suggest it's the same with the one. You want to grow spiritually? Put your one talent to work. See what it does for the Lord. And have the attitude that says, yeah, I may be a one talent guy, but I can use that for the Lord. And all of us, let's reach out and appreciate those one talent people. The people that sometimes get lost in the shuffle. You are valuable and necessary in the cross-pollination process of this church. I hope that you can see that, and I hope that we will help you feel that. Thank you for joining us tonight, and I certainly hope that everybody will decide to take whatever talents you have and use them for the Lord. Busy makes greater churches. Busy makes greater people. Busy keeps us heading in the right direction. If we can help you, please let us know how. And I hope that this lesson has been helpful to you. And as always, may God bless our country. May God bless our church. May God bless each one of us to use whatever talents we have for the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.